Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. I am pleased to have another mayoral candidate in our studio, Sarah Ayanna Roan. Did I say that correct? Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Sarah, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How? So let's just start with, with a simple question. How's the race going? The race is going fantastic. It's such an exciting time for Portland, and Portlanders are hungry for a candidate who represents their interests and the things that are on their mind, uh, and someone who represents them. So I've had a great amount of support from people who aren't traditionally the political insider wonks type start to look at a primary race who generally wouldn't be involved in a primary race, and that's really exciting for Portland, I think. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you're obviously out meeting a lot of people, and and what 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 do you say is or on Portlanders' minds? Well, housing and affordability, right? When you talk about what is the defining issue of this race, housing is on everyone's minds because it's where we where we live. It's literally where we reside. And when you see the a level of displacement that we have as we grow, people are going to concerned. What are we going to do to keep Portland Portland? Because what we love about Portland is conviviality. It's street parties, it's neighborhood associations, it's bike rides, it's sports, it's arts and culture, and the things that make us a, a the subject. You know, why would a TV show named Portlandia even want to start here, right? It was, the, it was what incentivized that, that makes Portland amazing. And people are concerned that we're losing that, that we're losing a little bit of our soul, if you will. Let's let's jump into that then. This is the nonprofit hour. We we talk about nonprofits. We talk about what nonprofits care about, and obviously, uh, affordable housing is is one of those. Let's can we put this in the framework of what what is City Hall doing? Uh, what could they do? And what are nonprofits doing uh, in terms of affordable housing that you see is productive right now? My goodness, I mean. NPOs and the nonprofit sector are are doing the heavy lifting on housing right now. I mean, when you look at the Home for Everyone Coalition and um, Welcome Home and the work that they're trying to do there, that's 121 organizations, the large majority of which are nonprofits that are leading the charge in the policy discussions, implementation, frontline responders. They are the people who are implementing local policy with regard to housing and affordability right now. Let me ask a more philosophical question then. Are they the ones who should be doing it or should the mayor, city council, city hall be more involved as the leader? Well, it depends on what you mean. You know, when you talk about the various roles, there's leadership and there's implementation, there's funding, and there's also the vision, right? And this is where it starts to get difficult because when you look at the position that we're in as a local, you know, a local government and the role of the federal government and federal retrenchment, if I can say that word on X-ray FM, I don't always get to say it out in the streets. But when you look at the, the way that the federal government has pulled back with regard to its responsibility and its share of housing funding, say, since the 1960s, Local governments have had to increasingly, state and local governments have had to pick up an increasing portion of that responsibility, carving out new money, if you will, from sources that they hadn't had access to before. And in many ways, the, thir- you know, the third sector, the nonprofit sector has helped us 
make bridge that gap. So when you when it comes to who should or shouldn't be, a lot of this is having to do because we don't have an alternative right now. And you look at what Portland is doing. I think the vision, what's lacking at City of Portland, and that the, that the nonprofits can't provide is a vision for Portland's future with regard to housing. We lack a citywide housing strategy. There is no coordinated effort, even at the regional level right now, um, but especially at the city level, since I'm running for mayor of Portland. How many people are coming here? How many people are here? Where are they going to be? Where are the jobs and educational opportunities going to be? And how much housing at every level of the economic spectrum do we need to make sure that we have? That information does not exist right now, and there's not a strategy for getting there. There's no way that the nonprofit community can drive that conversation. That has to come from the highest levels of the city. And in part, the mayor has to say, this is an important thing and we need to do that. So we're going to need some coordination between the Housing Bureau, our Planning Bureau, and Metro to to get at some of these numbers. So there, that's not where the nonprofits, I think, have the biggest role. They can push toward that. When it comes to implementation and how we're going to get outside money here, I think that that's where they can merely make a difference. Let's. Uh, you're you're running for mayor, obviously, and and there's only so much you can do right. as mayor. You will have limited capacity. Is is affordable housing in your top three? I think affordability generally is in my top three. I want to make sure that Portland stays a compact, connected place where we have neighborhoods that are livable across the city. So people at every level of the income spectrum are living in these neighborhoods that are diverse, that are connected affordably and efficiently by transit, and that they can get from home to work and school in convenient ways. Because that's the, you can't look at housing in, in this this silo. You can't extricate it from the urban ecosystem of our jobs and our transportation. So looking at that as an affordability you know, you know, ecosystem is what's going to be important for me. Sarah, you, you, you speak very well about these issues and, and you sound informed. Can you can you give me an idea of some of your background in uh, affordable housing, affordability? What, what are you bringing to the table that that isn't already there? Well, what I'm bringing is a person who lives on the median household income in Portland. Um, apart from my work at Portland State University, which you may or may not know, you know, I went to graduate school at Portland State University to get a PhD in urban planning. And while there, helped start a program called First Stop Portland. So I've had to learn over the last eight years of hosting city leaders from around the world and advising them how to make their cities better, exactly what's going well here in Portland. So I've had many, many opportunities to share the work of REACH and JOIN and even Falcon Community Arts uh, community here with delegations from Australia and China and Japan as innovative models of how to make cities more livable and more affordable. So I'm very, very in tune there with all of the activities going on in Portland. It's been part of my job description to know who in Portland is doing what and how can we share that with the world. On a at a little bit closer to, you know, my block and my street level, which is where most Portlanders live out their lives, is in their neighborhood, their block, and on their street. I'm a small business owner. I live out in the Mount Scott Arlita neighborhood, which is an outer southeast neighborhood adjacent to 82nd Avenue between, you know, uh, off Foster Road, which is um, now seen as an up-and-coming neighborhood. I think they call it Fopole, but when I moved there, it was known as Felony Flats and sometimes Methlehem, very disparaging remarks toward a, toward a neighborhood that actually accommodated a large part of Portland's lower income people and a large diversity of people. 19 uh, languages are spoken at the local elementary school there. But 
you know, I went out there, was able to buy a small starter home and raise my daughter there near a community center and opened a small business because of affordable rents and a community that wanted to have livability and walkability and things like that. So I understand firsthand what it means to invest in local places, local business, um, and even neighborhood centers and streets as mechanisms for uplift for communities without pricing people out necessarily. I want to the flesh out. We had said top three priorities, and you said one of those is affordability, and you've been talking about some of your interest in that and some of your ideas. What are your other top two of your three priorities that you'd bring to, to the mayor's office? A police, accountability, police accountability and reform. It's very, very important for us right now. And then also retooling for our post-carbon future. So how can we be uh, adapting to climate change and becoming more resilient and prepared for disasters while using that to our economic advantage? Phil Bussey, it's the Nonprofit Hour. I'm talking with Sarah Aya. I'm going to get it by the end of the show. No, don't, do not enable, okay. please. Ianna Roan. Ianna Roan, yes, thank you. Uh, who is a candidate for mayor, one of one of uh, several candidates for mayor. Let's let's I, we're going to bring it back to some of the the substance of what nonprofits in in Portland do and where that aligns with your interest and your your hopes for the mayor's office. I want to talk about the the mayor's race for a little bit because it is it's it's a fascinating process and I was at one of the recent events and there were eight candidates there and what is amazing is largely how civil it is and also how much discussion there actually can be about the topics and and that is very different than say the Republican uh, 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 debates that there have been which have turned into shouting matches about size of hands and uh, accountability and and is is does it feel civil to you? Well, first of all, I am trying to get the tiny hands pack endorsement, so I don't want to diss <laughs> that right now. But um, the feet, you know, what's interesting. Being in the international education or consulting uh, game, like I am, there are people from around the world watching. And I said that one time on social media very early in this race, and someone was like, "Oh, you're being arrogant," you know, like no one's watching. And then the you know transportation planner from Toulouse, France, weighed in, and then someone from Japan weighed in, and an economic development director from Brazil weighed in and said, "Oh no, we are watching." What I love about Portland and what I think makes the rest of the world look to us as a model is the fact that when you talk about not just how we're going to build infrastructure like roads and um, transit and affordable housing, even repairing schools and preparing for you know a seismic event, it's the civic infrastructure here that impresses people that they you can't look to you know um, New York and you can't necessarily look to Chicago and see the same level of civic infrastructure here, and that's part of what makes this discourse so. Uh, positive and effective is because people here know how to engage in meaningful ways. We have we have pathways to engagement for the average Portlander, and we're working really hard through our equity goals to make sure even more voices are included in that conversation. So we've learned over time how to talk about politics, and that's why I get discouraged sometimes when we think that this needs to be exclusive from the get-go. People like Bim Ditson and um, Jesse Sponberg and even Stephen Entwistle have been adding very, very valuable um, 
pieces and tidbits to a conversation that would otherwise be dominated by political insiders and, you know, affluent people who are disconnected from the daily lives of Portlanders. And that is very valuable for our political future. It's very valuable for the direction we need to go. And it, and it changes the direction of the conversation, if you will, away from the establishment interests and where and to a really meaningful conversation about what will Portland's future look like and who will have a say in that and what direction will we head? You know, and I, I want to go back to that point you're making about that that the, the world is watching in terms of who will be the next mayor, what is the future of Portland. Part of being a model city is also learning from other cities. Are there some cities that you are looking at uh, for your platform uh, in terms of affordability, uh, in terms of police accountability, uh, that are doing it right? That you're, are you out there shopping around for ideas? Oh my goodness! If I weren't, I would be the biggest fool. My my Rolodex is one of my biggest assets here. Yes, and in fact, when you think about my proposal to have us have a car-free portion of our central business district, comes straight from Oslo, who have committed to by 2019 um, getting cars out of a portion of the city center. There are cities all over the world that are doing this, and can, with partnership with transit and electric vehicles and pedestrian and cycling advocacy are seeing that that can be something you can use to be an economic boost. Tourism, right? I've lived in places like New Orleans and Charleston that have understood that tourism doesn't necessarily have to be bad for a city. There are ways to capture it. I've learned the good and the bad from those. When you think about uh, carbon, you know, Uh, transforming toward a post-carbon economy. Finland is doing amazing, amazing things and and, uh, with regard to investments in a cleaner future, how they're even doing uh, smart apps for transit, for integrated transit systems. So I'm looking at those places. Police accountability, Utrecht. What are they doing? They're working with their university to become the number one human rights city in the world. And it's everything from sex workers' rights to surveillance to police accountability. They have a 19-point plan in place as the city of Utrecht. And when it comes to a housing affordability, places like Vienna, um, what, are, what, can, what can we do with our our public investments to ensure that we have affordable housing stock. And fortunately, um, I know how to get in contact with these cities. Canberra, Australia is another one that's using transit effectively to um, to connect parts of the city that haven't been connected before, especially suburban. What we do in East Portland, uh, if we could master the art of the suburban retrofit, if you will, for sustainability and inclusion, that's going to be one more thing that the rest of the world looks at to us for leadership because there are an awful, awful lot of suburbs um, that need to be retrofitted so that they're more carbon uh, neutral and inclusive and equitable. Now bring it back uh, from Scandinavian countries now to back to Portland. Okay. Uh, and, then, and, and let's keep talking though about your Rolodex. Uh, in terms of connections to local nonprofits, how much have you been reaching out during the campaign to local nonprofits and, and how much um, do you recognize that as either part of your brain trust or as part of the community that you want to tie into? Oh, they're a central part of my brain trust. Like when I when I want to talk about housing, the first thing I'm going to do is go to the nonprofits who are running that, right? Reach, um, the CDCs, join, again, Welcome Home Coalition. These are the central city concern. Um, these are the people who are the experts. They're, the, they're on the front lines of these challenges every day. When it comes to transportation, who am I talking to? It's the BTA. It's Drive Oregon. It's, these are the folks who are collecting the data. 
right? They're doing the policy work. They're the ones who are in D.C. lobbying on our behalf, trying to get dollars here. They're the ones going to professional conferences and bringing back the best information. I mean, uh, Bike Walk Vote, I got the Bike Walk Vote endorsement the other day. These are amazing resources because the people who populate these nonprofits are the Portlanders. When you look at how do we engage, it's not just by showing up at a meeting. We volunteer. Uh, Friends of Trees is an example that people, governments from around the world love the Friends of Trees model because it's a great way to leverage public dollars to achieve a win-win-win when it comes to how do you get trees in the ground and increase your urban canopy? How do you leverage volunteers to achieve you know, city municipal goals that would cost much, 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 much more um, if you had to put public workers on that? And then how do you maintain that as a community connection across your city. I mean, we could be using that for so much right now. And how are we going to adapt some of the existing nonprofit models to meet some of our challenges where there there might be a little bit of a hole? So. Yeah, and and you you mentioned that idea of taking the nonprofit model and bringing that into City Hall. Can you explain that a little bit? Um, I I think I he- I'm hearing both this can you explain just the idea of what you mean? What what are nonprofits doing correctly? And how do you think that that could fit into a city bureaucracy? Nonprofits do less with more. I mean, nonprofits have been forced to, to maintain their existence by leveraging every dollar, every volunteer hour, every connection that they have to make their work possible. And the best nonprofits are working to make their jobs obsolete, right? The ones that are really, really working hard are saying that we're here to solve a problem and we'd like to see it end. We don't want to maintain ourselves so that we can maintain our structure. We want to maintain ourselves so the problem is done. Um, that's a number one uh, mindset that the city of Portland needs to have when it comes to some of these ongoing problems that we need to be solving for them, not just dealing with them in an ongoing basis. But how do we leverage our resources better? How do, for every public dollar we spend, can we partner? Can we find partner dollars from outside to grow those dollars to one to two to three? Also, when we're solving for a problem, can we try and find ways to solve two problems, you know, with every every single um, activity that we're doing. And when you when you say partner dollars, are you thinking uh, federal grants? I mean, are you thinking Mark Zuckerberg making donations? I'm thinking the patchwork quilt of financing that Portland pretty much does every time it wants to pull off a project because we don't have deep pockets here. I mean, you look at places that have, have experienced a similar, if you will, urban renaissance as Portland, right? Something like Pittsburgh and the number of Fortune 500 companies who have philanthropic, philanthropic um, entities that are serving there. Like City of Pittsburgh's budget, I think, at one point was maybe 40% coming from the foundations who were who were driving this renewal in their city, right? We have nothing of that magnitude. And even when you do look at some of the larger companies here, I'm thinking of Precision Cast Parts. It would, you look at our air quality and water quality and things like that here. We're actually not going to be partnering with them. We're going to have to be establishing new citizen organizations to deal with them right now on environmental quality. So what does that disconnect for us? Well, in the land of small things that is Portland, it's us partnering with as many organizations as possible. That's why the Welcome Home Coalition has like, what, 120 signatories at this point, um, as opposed to maybe two or three major foundations that would put a lot of money in there. Same with homelessness. A great model comes out of San Antonio. Well, 90% or, or $90 million of a $160 million budget came from a single philanthropic um, entity, right? Or Salt Lake City. Everyone says, let's look at Salt Lake City because they solved homelessness. Well, that was the Latter-day Saints that threw down a lot, a lot of money 
to help make that happen. And so we don't have these big donors here like that. Not that there's not money, but that we have to pull a lot, lot more partners in to make things happen. And that's that's an interesting way of thinking about it. I mean, obviously, the, the Portland's form of government is, is very unique for, for a major city. Uh, and it is, it's a small body. I mean, you have four councillors and you have the mayor, and the mayor is essentially a, a, a councillor with some superpowers. One, being able to appoint the bureaus, and then two, being able to decide the budget. I, am I hearing you correctly that you're also thinking that the mayor's role could be or should be also to be a fundraiser? Um, I think it's about partnerships. I mean, ultimately, when you're thinking about the city, what we do is have to figure out how we're going to finance the pro projects. But the money isn't the driving goal. It's about how can we partner more effectively to get things done. In some cases, partners may bring other things that are not financial, right? When I'm thinking about intergovernmental relations and how we're going to be working with Metro, we're all going to be bringing our money to the table. Um, what does it mean on our Selwood Bridge? I mean, in, in many ways, I see a lost opportunity to in, in involve Clackamas County in an important conversation about transportation investments in the future because you know, that 70% of the trips back and forth across that bridge begin and end in Clackamas County, but they didn't put in money for construction or maintenance of that bridge. So, yeah, that's financial, and it's about who comes to the table, but it's also about thinking, how do you do less with more? These community-based solutions, you know, in the EU, there's there's a fund set aside, a very small part of the general fund for pilot projects. What does it mean for us to have policies? When you think about what the nonprofit world can do, it's they don't have to commit to these long-term solutions where pol you, have, you have to watch these policy investments over long periods of time. But you can be more nimble and almost more entrepreneurial about piloting some things, testing them, setting some benchmarks. Does it work? Does it not? And then that tends to generate more revenue over time because you've you've proven that you have real results and that partnership, you know, that you build through that is how you build capacity even of the trying of things. I'd like to see us as a government doing more trying of things and saying, oh, it worked or no, it didn't. And that's okay because we've got to have all hands on deck for some of these solutions that we're up against, you know. Sarah, I want to I want to round out our conversation with a little bit more talk about the race. You've you've brought up a lot of great ideas for uh, solutions and for where you would look for ideas for solutions and and what what ma what matters to you. Let's talk a little bit about the race. I mean, if you could travel back to time till September 2015, which I'm sure seems like an eons ago, any advice that you'd give yourself in terms of how to run your race? Yeah, start raising money right, right now. Go, <laughs> go raise money. Um, I wish that we had publicly financed elections here. I think it would make for a much more interesting conversation for city of Portland. Uh, money is a huge issue. I'm working hard to raise money right now. Um, I'm looking forward to raising a good bit of it this month. It's I spent a lot of time building my legitimacy in this race as a relative unknown with not a lot of uh, name recognition and no prior elected experience. So establishing myself as an expert on things that happen in Portland and someone who has the political savvy and the understanding and the community connections to actually lead the city was a challenge. But now that I've done that, it's going to be interesting to see how I pull out in that race and hopefully get my name on the November ballot, which is what I'm seeking to do. Um, I'm not sure that I can beat Mr. Wheeler um, in May, but I'd like to come in second. And and you have a few weeks before ballots are in people's hands. What what are you what what do you feel like is your most effective strategy or or where can people find you in the next few weeks? Yeah, well, they can find me. There's a on my website www.saraforportland and that's f o r portland dot com. Sarah with an H too. Um, there's a events calendar 
So I'll be doing an awful lot of public appearances at debates coming up. Um, there's some YouTube videos out there that we've been making for folks who can't attend the debates. We've been trying to capture those because we know everyone doesn't have the free time after a long day's work to come attend a mayoral a mayoral primary forum, and there's an awful lot of noise out there. Social media is a big one for us because social media is a free channel, you know, so we're using social media really effectively. We've come out very, very strong in the last six weeks on social media and built some great following there where people are having interesting discussions about what they'd like to see for Portland's mayor. So I would follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, we're not on Snapchat yet, despite the millennials' protests. Um, maybe if we make it through into the general election, we'll get on Snapchat. But working really hard to engage the citizens of Portland in a conversation that they have access to is important for us. Sarah Iana Roan is a candidate for mayor. One last question, Sarah, and 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 uh, if you were a musical suggestion to take us out, but do you have a favorite previous Portland mayor? Well, it's a toss-up. I have two. Vera for her leadership, Vera Katz. I'm, you know, I think Vera was an amazing uh, mayor. And uh, Neil Goldschmidt. He'd only been here three years when he ran for city council the first time and how he was able to understand and tap into the changes that were happening in Portland at the time. Um, as a mayor, when you look at what he did as mayor, you have to admire uh, the ways that he he was a visionary leader in helping us transform from business as usual, especially when it came to highway building and thinking about what our, our car-free future would look like and how the role of neighborhoods and communities. So he was able to take that 30,000-foot perspective and connect it right down to the block level where Portlanders lived. And you have to appreciate that as in leadership. So both of those two I think I would admire. Yeah, I think it's interesting now that there is uh, 35, 40 years perspective on uh, city council and, and, and mayors uh, in Portland of the 70s of realizing how much what Portland is today is because of those city council members and those those mayors. Like you, you brought up earlier about uh, Pioneer Courthouse Square, that could easily be a hotel or a parking garage now yeah. if not for city council at that point. But see, these are the stories that I tell visitors. So when I go back, I go all the way back. I mean, we even go back to the 1850s and talk about, you know, what would we have done different with regard to displacement, um, even through settlement here? And what do we need to do? We we share the Portland story, warts and all, with visitors from around the world so that we can learn from them and they learn from us. One of the things that prompted, I'm so glad you raised this point because I don't get to talk about it much as my impetus for entering the race. But the thing I get from them, the feedback that I get is, you've made a really great place here. And again, especially on this civic infrastructure, um, as well as the more sustainable infrastructure that you've built. But that story you're telling me, it's been underway for about 40 years now, right? You've been at four decades, and they're doing the math. And they're like, what's next? What, what do you got going on right now? And I don't see that. I don't see that coming from City Hall presently. I didn't see that being... Uh, talked about in this race of what's next Portland. And it's not about being a leader for the world. I don't think that should be our goal, right? Because what's made Portland great is that we've built places that work very, very well for Portlanders. And that's what people admire is that integrity, that authenticity, um, that quality of place that we've made. But what we've failed to understand is we need to make sure that that quality of place exists for all Portlanders. So I believe that Portland can stay a model, um, not by doing things that to show off to the rest of the world by, by by continuing to make Portland a great place for all Portlanders. So for me, the inclusion and the equity 
is the next frontier for us of how do we make sure that Portland stays a premier city, a livable city, is by making sure that it's inclusive and equitable and just. If we can pull that off, boy, oh boy, I don't want to hear any more talk about boom or bust because we're just going to keep going on a trajectory people won't be able to keep up. Sarah, thank you for speaking with us today, and thank you for uh, running for mayor and for raising issues that are important to the city, and, and um, best of luck with the, the, the final weeks leading up to the primary. Um, song to take us out? Um, something by Nina Simone. It's a beautiful sunny day out there, so I'll leave it to your discretion. Excellent. Thank you for keeping the conversation about nonprofits alive. They're so important, and I'm glad that you're keeping the citizens of Portland tuned in to what they've got going on. Thank you. Thanks. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. New life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running free. Fly out in the sun, you know what I mean, don't you know? Butterflies all having fun, you know what I mean? Sleep in peace when day is done, that's what I mean. And this old world.